Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan. In today on The Detail... The Three Strikes Law. It was based on Californian legislation and was introduced by the National-led government in 2010 as part of its agreement with the ACT Party. The aim of the Three Strikes Law makes a certain kind of sense. If someone's repeatedly committing serious violent crimes and rehabilitation and other deterrents don't seem to be working, they get locked up and the key is thrown away. But in the 12 years since this legislation was introduced, the unintended consequences have become clear. We turn now to the seven-year prison sentence handed down to a man who pinched a prison guard's bottom. Daniel, well, did kiss the lady on the cheek. That was Daniel's third indiscretion. Despite my arguments in the High Court, he's duly got seven years. Despite attempts to repeal the law... The government moves to repeal the controversial Three Strikes Law. Justice Minister Andrew Little has a short time ago set out a likely time frame for how the repeal will proceed. It stayed on the books. New Zealand First have said they are not prepared to support the repeal of Three Strikes at this point. They didn't want that to be seen as separate from a broader programme of criminal justice reform. Until... Now, The Justice Minister, Chris Farfoy, is tabling a repeal bill in Parliament saying the law has led to absurd outcomes where judges have had to give sentences they did not agree with. So today on The Detail, has the three strikes law failed in what it set out to do? What were the specifics of the cases that led to this repeal? And what does this story tell us about the relationship between Parliament and the judiciary? Andrew Geddes is a professor at Otago University's Faculty of Law. Before we get to three strikes, perhaps it would be good for us to talk about sentencing and how sentencing works. Different offences have different punishments attached to them, correct? And there is a maximum sentence for most crimes, but you won't very often actually get the maximum sentence. Is, is, that, is that essentially how, this, how, how sentencing kind of works at its, at its most base level? Absolutely. So every offence provision has attached to it the maximum penalty that can apply to that particular offence. However, that's, that's like a ceiling. That, that's as much as the court can ever do uh, in regards to that particular offence. And it's very, very rare that a court would ever say that a person who's committed an offence warrants having the absolute maximum punishment applied to them because basically the court would be saying this is the absolute worst version of that offence carried out that it is possible to imagine. And, you know, in the real world, it's very infrequent that we get that. First thing to note is that under the Sentencing Act, there's a bunch of principles about what sentencing to try to achieve. Uh, The overall principle is that the court should be trying to apply the least restrictive sentence that it can in order to achieve the various purposes of sentencing. Mm. And those purposes of sentencing are things like, you know, holding the the, uh, person to account, but also things like rehabilitation, trying to, you know, make sure that this person's going to, as a result of the sentence, you know, not commit other offences and so on and so on. The uh, court will then sort of start off with a starting point for the the penalty to be applied. From that starting point, there's then a range of criteria that either can raise that sentence or lower it, depending on things like, you know, has the person pled guilty? Have they expressed remorse? Uh, You know, were they particularly um, terrible in the way they committed the offence? How old are they? What's their prospects of rehabilitation? And so on and so on. Okay, and so all, all of which is to say that when it comes to sentencing, generally, judges have really quite a lot of discretion they do have, yeah, they do have quite an amount of discretion, but it is bounded discretion, mm. and it's bounded discretion uh, along the lines of 
a judge should try to reach an outcome that's broadly similar for similar offenders who've done similar things in the past. Okay, moving on. In its most base form, what is a three strikes law? How, how does a three strikes law work? So the intention behind the three strikes law was to apply essentially a ratcheting series of of consequences to people who committed certain so-called strike offences, which were uh, designated offences that were regarded as being particularly nasty, you know, involving some sort of um, serious uh, violence or similar. That list of offences includes things like murder, attempted murder, manslaughter, aggravated assault and robbery and so on, obviously. But it also includes things like kidnapping and indecent assault, much broader offences, which is something we'll get to a bit later on. And so the way it works is uh, under our three-strike policy, uh, the first strike, you just get a warning. You get your ordinary sentence, just as you would uh, on normal sentencing guidelines, but you get warned. If you do this again, worse things will happen. Mm. Then at the second strike, if you commit one of these offences again after getting that warning, you get a much harder sentencing outcome. If you're sent to jail, you have to serve that time in jail without getting parole. So you serve the full jail sentence that you're, you're, you're sentenced to. Then at the third strike, things really ratchet up and judges were told if someone commits a third strike, the judge must sentence them to the full uh, sentence uh, for that offence to give them the maximum that the, that the legislation calls for for that particular offence. So the idea was by having this sort of increasingly uh, severe consequence for uh, criminal offending, offenders would be uh, put on warning and then really badly punished if they continued to commit such offences with the idea that they'd be at least taken off the streets and that will make everyone safer. Tell me a bit about this being introduced. When did it come in and and what was the context around that time? Was it prompted by a specific event or or was this a particular time in history? How did it kind of come into being, as it were? So it was introduced in New Zealand in 2010. Uh, It really was Act Party policy. Um, So the, the Act Party was particularly strong on this. Here's the former ACT MP David Garrett who authored this legislation speaking about it in 2016. The whole purpose of the legislation was to make it exponentially worse worse consequences for those who keep on reoffending. It's not in proportion, Mr Garrett. No, I mean, a pen- no, but hang on, hang on. That's the pen- point. It's not supposed hang to be proportionate. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> As a part of a general approach to criminal justice, which has been called penal populism, which is this sort of idea that, look, you've got bad people in society... We need to do as much as we can to, you know, make those bad people stop offending. And if they're going to carry on offending, the best thing we could do is just get them into jail where they can't do any harm. Mm. And so it came in uh, as a part of the ACT Party's policies. The ACT Party uh, was in a governing relationship with the National Party uh, government at that time after the 2008 election. And it was one of the ACT Party's uh, demands for support. And so it was introduced, debated through the House... Uh, It was changed quite a bit during that that process of uh, parliamentary debate and discussion. Uh, You know, there was some looking at it, how it was going to work, the technicalities of it and so on. Uh, But then it was enacted on basically a straight line party vote with Act and National supporting it uh, and the opposition parties uh, voting against it. Do judges have any discretion in a third strike case? 
In a third strike case, according to the legislation, the way it appeared to be written, uh, there was no discretion about uh, sentencing someone to the maximum term of imprisonment. So if you committed an offence, a strike offence that had a maximum term of imprisonment of 14 years, the judge had to sentence you to jail for 14 years, irrespective of your circumstances. The one area of discretion that was left was as to whether that jail sentence would be served with or without parole. Uh, if it's served without parole, you have to stay in jail for the full 14 years. If it's served with parole, at least there's a chance to be released slightly earlier if the parole board feels that you're safe enough to be let out. Mm. Judges were left with a little bit of discretion there that if it would be manifestly unjust to sentence someone to jail for the maximum term without parole, the judges could still allow for parole. So there was little elements of discretion still left within the three strikes regime as a whole. But the point of it was to try to remove as much of that judicial discretion as possible to say, look, if someone has committed this strike and they've said third strike and they just will not learn, we want to see them go to jail. The first few years of the three strikes law were broadly uneventful, according to a piece by Newsroom's Jonathan Milne. By 2016, not a single person had been convicted of a third strike offence. But then along came the case of Raven Casey Campbell. The 25-year-old had already received one strike for his first set of offending, which included receiving stolen property, the possession of a knife and robbery, and a second strike for aggravated robbery. Justice Toogood says while it was very harsh, he had no option but to impose the maximum sentence. So this was one of the first third strike cases to come before the courts, uh, where you had a, a guy who was already in jail, and he was in jail uh, on a second strike offence for a relatively short period. And while he was in jail for a second strike uh, offence, uh, he patted a corrections officer on the backside. Now, that action is technically an indecent assault. Mm. It's an assault because, you know, it was unwanted touching. It was indecent because of where he touched her. Uh, he actually then apologised to her and, you know, recognised he'd done a pretty stupid thing. But... Still, a charge was brought against him for indecent assault. Indecent assault is a strike offence under the, the three strikes legislation. And because this was his third strike, uh, it meant that under the three strikes legislation, he had to be sentenced to seven years imprisonment. Mm -hmm. So for the act of patting a prison officer on the backside while he was in jail, he was sentenced to another seven years imprisonment, which would keep him in the place where he committed the offence. So it's hard to see how people are being kept, quote, safe when, you know, this actually occurred while he was in jail. And it was like a seven-year sentence for a very, very low-level indecent assault. Mm. And uh, something that, you know, if it wasn't for the three strikes regime, he probably wouldn't have had any imprisonment time at all. But that was what was required under the three strikes legislation to be done by the courts. The judge said, look, I have no option here but to do this to you. I'm sorry, seven years imprisonment. Shortly after Campbell's case, another one cropped up, Daniel Fitzgerald. Uh, Mr Fitzgerald was a man who suffered from quite severe uh, mental health issues, uh, addiction issues and so on, uh, but he also had a very bad practice of approaching women on the street and unwanted touching. Mm -hmm. And he'd been sentenced twice for this, 
and you know, rightly so, uh, keeps being brought before the uh, courts for this. But on the third occasion he was brought before the court, he'd uh, gone up to a woman on the street and kissed her on the cheek. In 2016, Daniel Fitzgerald grabbed a woman on Cuba Street and tried to kiss her. She managed to turn her head and he got her cheek. He then had an altercation with her friend who stepped in to help. Under the three strikes law brought in under the previous national government, he was sentenced to seven years. For something that, if it wasn't for the three strikes regime, he would have received a very, very short prison sentence at most, you know, three to six months. Again, this is a guy who, while he's doing you know, wrong things and, and bad behaviour, because of his mental health issues and so on, putting him into prison for that length of time is not going to help the world because, if anything, it's going to worsen the underlying cause of his actions. And so when he finally is released, well, you know, he's going to be on the streets again. That case then preceded the, the sentence and an appeal against the sentence uh, proceeded all the way up to our Supreme Court, our top court. And when it got to the Supreme Court, well, because the Supreme Court is, as its name says, supreme, uh, feels a little more able to kind of do things that perhaps the lower court, the high court, doesn't think that it can do. So when it got to the Supreme Court in Mr Fitzgerald's case, the Supreme Court looked at the legislation and said, you know what? This legislation looks like on its face, it says we have to send someone to jail for the maximum term. But we are going to read into the legislation an exception that says that if doing so would be a breach of the right under the Bill of Rights Act Mm. to be free from uh, torture or manifestly uh, excessive treatment, which is one of the rights that is guaranteed under the Bill of Rights Act, Mm. if the sentence would breach that right we don't think the three-sentencing legislation would apply because we can't believe New Zealand's parliament could possibly have intended us to sentence someone to a term of imprisonment that breaches this really, really important right. The Supreme Court has called a jailed man's sentence well beyond excessive punishment and a breach of the Bill of Rights. Wellington man Daniel Clinton Fitzgerald will now be resentenced. So they carved out of the three strikes regime an exception where if the sentence would breach this right to be free from uh, manifestly excessive treatment, the courts can refuse to apply the three strikes regime It just as if the law doesn't exist and just apply normal sentencing procedures. How creative. Yes, and this is once again an example of like New Zealand's constitution because it is rubbery and because we're dealing with these sort of principles, these sort of big principles, it's possible to try to make them cohere um, in, in innovative ways. So what the courts are saying is we're still leaving Parliament supreme. We're still saying Parliament gets to make the law, but because we're the ones who interpret that law and we're the ones who sort of say what that law means in the individual cases in front of us, we can, you know, make it cohere with these sort of deeper, more important values such as individual rights and you know not wanting to trample on those individual rights in ways that when you look at them go you know that's just terrible you know sending a mentally ill man to jail for seven years because he kissed someone on the street that's just such a terrible thing to do in our society we can't believe our parliament want us to do it so we won't Andrew, it strikes me that maybe one of the problems here is actually the offense of indecent assault Because you mentioned earlier that uh, there is a list of offences that are strike offences, and most of those are pretty serious, violent crimes, right? It's aggravated assault, murder, and and so on and so forth. 
indecent assault is an incredibly broad charge in New Zealand, isn't it? And so you, you, you do find this situation where the minor end and the serious end, they're a long way away from one another. Well, yeah, indecent assault has is, is clearly been the, the charge that has brought the most problems. And, you know, as you say, it, it covers a very wide range of things. Uh, and that was a problem. It was actually pointed out at the time that including this on the list of strike offences was running the risk of this sort of thing occurring. Mm. Having said that, a number of the strike offences can, in theory, cover quite a wide range of um, possible behaviour. So, for instance, kidnapping is a strike offence. Kidnapping could be anything from you know, locking the door on someone in your car and driving off without letting them out through to, you know, grabbing someone, uh, hog-tying them, blindfolding them, and then you're taking them to hold them in your dungeon. Mm. So a number of these offences that were designated as being strike offences can cover a wide range of offending, all of which, you know, is bad. Offending against other people is a bad thing. But there is, you know, degrees of offending against people. The change of government in 2017 presented the first opportunity for the law to be repealed. Labour came in in 2017 with a manifesto promise to get rid of three strikes. They said, look, you know, we opposed it when it was introduced. Now we've got governing power. We want to remove it. Uh, and Andrew Little, who was the Minister of Justice at the time, actually came out and said, we are going to put legislation in to do that. It's an absolutely absurd law. It is the high watermark of policy stupidity. Whereupon New Zealand First, who, of course, New Zealand were, uh, Labour was in coalition with, came out and said, well, no, we're not going to support that. In a humiliating about turn, the Justice Minister Andrew Little has dropped plans to repeal the three strikes law after New Zealand First refused to give its support. So without New Zealand First votes, Labour was unable to action it through till the 2020 election. Now, of course, after 2020, Labour's got 64 MPs in the House. Uh, Labour's got an absolute majority. Labour is able to pass whatever legislation it basically wants. So that, um, you know, restriction on their power to get rid of three strikes is now gone. That's where we're at now. So the, the bill to repeal the three strikes has gone through its first reading. So, you know, Labour Party, the Green Party and the Māori Party combined have voted to, uh, you know, pass it at its first reading. After first reading, it then goes to a select committee, the Justice Committee, for scrutiny, where that committee then looks at the detail of the, the legislation and provides a report to the House as to whether to carry on with it or not. And as a part of that uh, select committee scrutiny, the public, of course, has been able to make submissions. So those public submissions are now closed, and the select committee is now thinking of, on this legislation in order to produce a report to the House. I suspect one of the things that the um, Justice Committee is really going to have to be thinking hard about is what to do about all those people who are currently sitting in jail on a third strike or earlier sentence. Mm. Because if you repeal this legislation, that will only have effect for the future. So future sentencing will take place as if the three strike, you know, without the three-strike uh, regime in place. But if there are people already in prison who've been sentenced under the three strikes regime and it's considered that that three strikes regime was unjust and shouldn't have been used, should it be repealed retrospectively? And should those people who were sentenced under three strikes be resentenced as if the three strikes didn't exist? Mm. And that, I think, is going to be a very difficult question for the Select Committee to consider. Well, indeed, there's a, a, a case that's just come back, I think, just um, a week or so ago, uh, Morgan and the Crown. Are you familiar with this? This is a really fascinating case. Yes. This is about yeah. sentencing. Tell me, tell, me, tell me about the sort of broad brush of this case. 
So the Court of Appeal uh, has just considered a case where a guy was uh, is up for sentencing on the third strike, and he asked the court to please delay the sentencing until after this legislation has been enacted so that he could be sentenced under ordinary sentencing provisions rather than having the three strikes regime apply to him. And the Court of Appeal basically said, no, that's not possible, that people have to continue to be sentenced as they are uh, convicted Mm. under the three strikes regime up and until Parliament repeals the three strikes regime, and it's for Parliament to decide whether the uh, regime is going to apply only prospectively for the future or whether it will be retrospectively repealed so that people are resentenced under ordinary sentencing provisions. The three strikes policy makes a kind of gut level sense. I mean, when you think about it, you know, if you've got these bad people who just continue to do bad things and won't learn, well, then the best place to put them is prison where they're out of harm's way and we can, as a society, basically just forget about them. There are definitely, I think, is a popular support for it. I I would imagine the majority of New Zealanders, when asked for their gut-level response, would say yes. The issue with it comes in a couple of ways. First of all, I mean, that gut-level response, I don't think really understands how sentencing works generally. And the fact that, you know, even without three strikes, people who are carrying out repeated violent offending do end up getting lengthy prison sentences. So the idea that we need a three-strikes regime to make sure that people get locked up for reasonable periods of time, I'm just not sure whether it's correct. And I don't know whether people fully understand that. The other issue is, of course, dealing with sort of gut-level, broad-brush, high-level slogans never really gets into uh, the individual detail. Interestingly, other surveys have been done where people are presented with individuals and their circumstances and, you know, what happened, and then are asked, what sentence would you give this person? And quite often, the result will be less than the courts actually give through the sentencing procedures. So it all depends on how you're trying to gauge what the public want through their sentencing regime. And it's very easy by asking one kind of question rather than another to get a very different result. Taking a step back from all that, if you look at like the I don't know the legacy or the saga or whatever of, of the three strikes law, what what lessons would you say we kind of take from this whole process? I think it reveals a, a you know a fracture point within our society and our politics and so on generally as to how criminal justice issues should be approached and what we think the best response to criminal offending is and what's the best way to deal with you know those in society who harm others because you know that's the reality these sorts of offenses involve harm against individual victims and we should never overlook that and that's really really important to build into our assessment of you know what the right thing to do is um, and that continues to run through so you know national NAC voted against the repeal of three strikes and they've said look if we get re-elected we're going to reintroduce it because we think it's a good idea so that debate isn't going to go away at a deeper level um, I think the three strikes history and you know future history perhaps raises interesting questions about the relationship between our parliament as lawmaker and our courts as the appliers of individual justice and as the interpreters of the law that parliament passes. And the three strikes area has, I think, been quite fertile in developing that because it has been a real tension point between parliament and the courts. And tension points are where change happens, where development happens. And certainly the court's approach to interpreting the legislation, because that's what the three strikes 
law is, right, it's an act of parliament legislation, the way the courts have chosen to interpret this legislation, I think will have wider ramifications for the overall relationship of parliament and the courts in a whole range of other areas. The Justice Select Committee's report is due back in mid-May. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Andrew Geddes. Matewa. Matewa.